0: Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. If you'd like, you can follow along on page 6 of your bulletins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I think there's a little ringing in the microphone. Any way to slice that off? Appreciate it, man. Well, good morning again. Sometimes, sometimes death, death can be on our minds in a way that we don't want. Uh, That might be the case for some of you still processing the passing of Nipsey Hussle. It might be the case for some of you that might be grieving the loss of those whom you love personally. That's the case for you, Brother Melvion. We mourn with you and we love you. But sometimes, death can surprise us. This is a case with the gospel. And so for three weeks, we want to reflect and meditate on a death that we actually want and need. And that is the death of Jesus Christ. Three weeks as we lead up to Easter, we are uh, sharing this pulpit across our church network. That's three congregations, three different preachers that will be sharing about the death of Christ. Why did Jesus come to die? I wonder what the answer in your heart might be to that question. Last week, I kicked us off. This week, we have a special guest, uh, a familiar face in our community now, and that is Pastor Russ Whitfield, who is the lead pastor of Grace Mosaic which meets in Northeast DC. And so let's put our hands together and welcome Pastor Russ. Thanks for being here, man.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So good to be with you. Today I told Pastor Duke I'm reminded uh whenever we do these round robins for the network that I I love seeing y'all and I am definitely never going to try to take Grace Mosaic to multiple services, because i would be wore out after this, y'all. Wore out. I am uh, I'm glad to be with you. If you would, please uh, join me with a brief word of prayer. Father, thank you for these friends, uh, this family uh, that you have created. Um, grateful, Father, for the work that you're doing among them and through them uh, in this neighborhood. And I pray that today this would be an encouragement along the way. We pray that Jesus would um, become more uh, believable uh, to us, uh, more compelling this morning, that we would maybe uh, cross a line in our understanding uh, this morning of what it is that Jesus has come to do and why he matters and makes the difference. Um, so Lord, please be at work today. We pray that you uh, continue your, your ministry of drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. Uh, let pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> on one occasion, I was, I was on a work trip, and, and I woke up late, and I got on the road late, and I also got four kids. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to get out the door when you wake up late, and you got four kids. And for y'all that don't know, there's one child, there's two kids, there's three kids, there's four kids, and then there's four kids. There's a difference, all right? Four kids means those kids are filled with a spirit of something, and, and they, they can slow you down as you're trying to get out of the house. So, so when I finally got out on the road, I was making good time, which is also known as speeding. And, and I was making good time, and I got down to North Carolina, and I saw this, this I, I, I was coming through a construction site, and I, and I saw this sign up, and the sign said, slow down, my daddy works here. And I was like, oh. it made me feel bad out here, man, you know, because my dad worked for the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, and I was thinking of how bad I would feel if someone was making good time down the road and did something to my dad. So I felt guilty, but then I snapped out of it real quick. I was like, you know what? They're just trying to play me. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to guilt me into slowing down. So I kept making good time. (laughs) And I came to the next construction site, and I saw the sign. Slow down. My daddy works here. And I literally said out loud, you can't guilt trip me into staying in the speed limit. And I kid you not, five seconds later, I saw the red and blue lights in my rear view. And I'm like, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. So I pull over. The officer comes up. He says, sir, do you know how fast you were driving? I said, officer, I got four kids. You know, it's an excuse for everything. if, if, uh, if I didn't take out the trash, my wife's like, why didn't you take out the trash? I'm like, I got four kids. You know, that's a problem. <laughs> if I'm late for meetings, yeah, you know, I got four kids. You know, just... But he wasn't buying it. I told him my sad song. I got out of the house late, and i am got an important meeting I'm trying to get to. And he looked at me very understandingly, and he walked. He's okay, Mr. Whitfield, I'll be right back. And I was thinking, you know, I might get out of this thing alive. You know, I might get out of this thing okay. And he comes back and gives me a speeding ticket. (laughs) So as I was driving away, uh, I kind of had this this realization that I had successfully dealt with the feelings of guilt, but I had not dealt with the reality of guilt. My guilt wasn't just a a subjective emotion or or just a negative feeling, it was a reality, an objective reality. And in our modern, uh, our modern culture, uh, we tend to take therapeutic approaches to life. And, and on a therapeutic approach to life, we're told that guilt is just a negative feeling that we need to overcome. In modern culture, all of our problems are reduced to technical problems. And through our techniques... We believe that we can deal with all of our problems. And guilt is one of those problems that we think we can deal with through technical means. You do, you do a little therapy, you, you get a little help, and you can deal with your, with your guilt. But here's the thing. Uh, one of the distinctives of the Christian faith actually shows up. In this in this perspective, because the Christian faith teaches that guilt is not just a negative feeling, a bad emotion that we experience. It's actually a status, a reality that we can that we can have upon us because guilt is actually the result of failing in our responsibilities toward God and our responsibility toward our neighbors. So guilt is not just a feeling. Guilt is not just the feeling uh, that you get when you see the sign, slow down, my daddy works here. Guilt is also the, the ticket the police officer gives you. So the question for us this morning is this. What do you do with your guilt? How do you handle your guilt? What do you do with it? Where do you go with it? What, what do you, how do you get rid of it? And this morning, my, my task is to show you one of the reasons why Jesus came to die. One of the reasons why Jesus came to die is this so that there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that there would be no guilty living for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that we would not be consumed with and overwhelmed by our guilt. And so this morning we're going to approach this text in Romans 8 through two points no condemnation and life transformation. No condemnation. And life transformation. So let's look at our first point. No condemnation. If you look at the first verse. If you look at it. It says this. It says there is therefore now. No condemnation. For those who were in Christ Jesus. And in order to appreciate the impact of this text. You have to understand the run up to this text. You have to understand the context. Where does this come from? Well. In the beginning of this letter. Paul tells us about his gospel. He lays it out. And in the beginning, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, Paul begins to to tell us the story of all those wild hellions out there who who are living the crazy, immoral life. And he says, they're jacked up and they're in trouble. But then he comes around for all those who are not religious, but they're moral people. They try to live a decent life. They try to do right by others. And he says, yeah, all those moral people. They're actually in big trouble too. And then he comes around to those who are religious, who think that they can put God in their debt by their religious observances, that they can somehow win God onto their side by how, how much they read the Bible and how many church services they go to and, and how many events from the church they show up at. And he says, actually, y'all are in trouble too. And he comes down to the conclusion, it doesn't matter if you're wild out there, if you're an upstanding citizen who doesn't really need religion, or if you're a religious person who's all the way committed, but you're dependent on your religiousness in order to be in good standing with God, he says, there is none righteous, not even one. Nobody's looking for God. No one is really well-intentioned. Everyone's in trouble. And then he says, now, now that I've given you the bad news, let me give you the good news. And it's like this, when I went shopping for a ring for my wife, Vanessa, um, I was going around to all the jewelry stores. You know, I was doing the four C's thing. You know, some of y'all fellas know about that. You know, I don't remember what they are now, but I was on them back then. And I walked into one of the jewelers one time and I asked though, they would always put out this black felt and then they would put the diamond on it and show me the diamond and start talking about the diamond. And I asked one of the jewelers, I said, why do y'all always lay out the black felt beforehand? And this jeweler said, you won't appreciate the gleam of the diamond unless I lay out the black felt. And what Paul does is he lays out the black felt of human brokenness and corruption so that when he puts the gospel in front of us, we're like, that's why the person and work of Jesus is so amazing. That's why Christians talk about Jesus like they do. That's why they commit to him like they do. That's why they say the things about him that they do because of the nature of our situation we can't buy our way out spend our way out love our way out feel our way out we can't earn our way out achieve our way out it doesn't matter how many letters you have behind your name how many numbers you have in the bank none of that matters in God's economy so that puts you in a situation where Jesus becomes just the savior that you need if you're jacked up like me and so Paul then begins to tell them about the rescue of Jesus And how the rescue of Jesus, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it's like, oh my goodness. God rescues people based upon what Jesus has done, not based on what they do. And then he says, when you know that, when you know that grace, it begins to work in you and it changes you. Because someone might get the mistaken idea that if you're saved by grace, then you can just go out and act a fool, right? Like I'm just, you know, grace, it's all grace, y'all. I'm just going to go out to the club, you know, hey. Hey, uh, then You can just do whatever you want. And Paul says, actually, grace has a side A and a side B. Grace has side A. You are saved. You're forgiven. You're rescued. You're loved. And then side B is that love, that forgiveness, that salvation changes you. Then he gets to chapter 7. And this is what helps us to get the text this morning. When he gets to chapter 7, Paul begins to get into attention that when you try to live the life of transformation... You end up in, in conflicts in your own soul. You, you can't do what you want to do. This, this is the way he puts it in the text. Verse 15 of chapter 7. Listen to this. Tell me if this sounds familiar. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Does anyone? All right, I'll try another one. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. All right, let me try one more and see if y'all can resonate with this, you know. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, he feels the tension of trying to do what God wants him to do, but he, he drops the ball so often. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, by the way. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul. He feels the tension. But then what does he do with this? I want you to look at how he, how he rolls out of that. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he gets into our text for this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is giving, he's not just teaching every Christian. He's describing every Christian in Romans chapter 7. But now he's assuring every Christian in Romans chapter 8. The, the old school cat said that Romans chapter 8 begins with no condemnation. And it ends with no separation. And in between, it's, it's, it's no losses. It's no defeat. And so he gets into this text. He begins to work this out. But we have to appreciate something. What Paul is not saying in this text Paul is not saying that there is therefore now no cause for condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because look, if we were to look at our social media accounts, if we were to consider our words toward other people, if your thoughts from last week were on speaker in here this morning, just in case you think, you know, I'm a pretty decent person, I I wouldn't want my thoughts in here. Y'all would be all condemnation. (laughs) He called himself a pastor? He ain't no pastor. He's He is jacked. It's not that there's no cause for condemnation. We see, we see that there is cause. It's not that there is therefore now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will fail. It's not that there's therefore now no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus, no stumbling for those in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying that though there may be failing, that there will be failing, there will be struggle, there will be strains and temptations, there will be trip ups and failures. No matter, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a big difference. You see the difference Jesus makes? There's no coming into judgment, no hanging indictment. So what you see is you may be poor but you're not condemned when you're in Christ Jesus. You may be weak, but you're not condemned when you are in Christ Jesus. You may be confused, but you are not condemned when you are in Christ Jesus. You may be conflicted and doubtful, but you are not condemned when you are in Christ Jesus. You might be spitefully judged by others, but you are not spitefully judged when you are in Christ Jesus. You may be accused by others, but you are not accused by God when you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ like Noah was in the ark when the storm was raging around and it was all peace inside. You're like Israel, you're in Christ like Israel was in the blood covered houses when the destroyer was coming through and could not gain access because they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah. You're in Christ like Noah was in the, like, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish and rescued from a watery grave and he was put back on the shore so that he could re engage God's calling on his life. You are in Christ. You're not somewhat saved, you're not partially saved, you're not halfway saved. You're saved to the uttermost. You're not sort of saved. You're not 50% saved. You are saved to the uttermost in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's good news. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you've done it with, how long you've been doing it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nada, zip, zilch, nothing. It's gone. And the language that's used in the Greek text is there is not a single bit. Not even a little bit. It's all gone. Condemnation is gone. That's why, we, that's why we sing songs like this. When Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there. Him. <laughs> Upward I look and see him there. Who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied. Somebody say Satisfied. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus took all the condemnation and he left nothing behind but blessing. Amen. That's good news. There's no condemnation. He didn't leave a little bit of condemnation left for you, just enough to spur you on to do good. He didn't, he didn't leave a little bit of guilt left for you so that, so that you could, he could keep you under his thumb. No, he set you free from guilt and shame and all the ways that you would be tempted to despair of believing that God loves you. That's good news, y'all. Yes. Jesus died to deal with our guilt problem. He handles our guilt in an entirely different way, though, from modern culture and religious culture. Okay, now here's, here's what I'm gonna suggest to you. Every way of life has this approach to getting the no condemnation title hung over your head. No condemnation. There's the modern approach. The modern approach to getting that no condemnation title over you is telling you that you have no responsibility. All of your responsibility is dissolved into prior causes. It's because of your family of origin. It's because of your biochemistry. Listen, those things can be contributing factors, but they don't relieve us of responsibility. The problem is not therapy. The problem is that we fix religious aspirations onto the therapy, expecting that that will deal with the end goal issues that we have. But we can't fix all of the problems that we have. Therapy is good, but it's incomplete. There is a way in which modernity, modern culture, aims to get rid of the feelings of guilt, but it leaves the reality of guilt. It gets rid of the feelings of guilt, but it leaves the reality of guilt. But what about religious people? What we could call moralism. Moralism tries to get that no condemnation title over your head, religious performance. And instead of telling you that there's no responsibility, it tells you that there's no inability. You can do this. You got to perform the works of righteousness in order to be in good standing with God so that he won't condemn you. It's working your way into the love of God. It's trying to make God proud so that he, all right, come on. All right. It's kind of like that look, that moralism. God looks at you like, all right. It's like when you were underage trying to get in a club and the bouncer's looking at you like, all right. Oh, maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> I keep telling on myself, y'all. I keep telling on myself. Listen, moralism says you have no inability. You can do this. You can get right. And it aims to get rid of the reality of guilt by leveraging the feelings of guilt. You see? It, it leverages the feelings of guilt. It tries to guilt you into change. Law performance. But you notice in the text, what the text says, Paul says... What, for what the law could not do. Weakened by the flesh, God did. See, the problem is not with the law. The problem's with us. We can't perform it. We can't keep it. We can't be true to it. The law is a mirror. It shows you that you're dirty. I've never yet seen anyone go and look in the mirror and then expect the mirror to be their means of getting clean. It just points you to the idea that you're dirty and there's one who can clean you. You can rub your face on a mirror all you want. It ain't going to clean you. The law cannot clean you. But then there's the final, the final, the, the gospel. The way that the gospel gets the no condemnation title over your head is no separability. Meaning that you are not separated from your union with Christ. When God looks at you, he sees you as if he's seeing Christ. That's the good news. He loves you with the same love with which he's loved Jesus from eternity past. He favors you with that same favor. He's committed to you as deeply as he's committed to his son Jesus. He delights in you as much as he delights in Jesus. And you are in Christ, and so you shall never be separated from that verdict. How much do you think the Father loves the Son? That's how much he loves you. That is life changing truth right there. That's life changing truth. You can't lose it. You can't forfeit it. You can't give it up. If you could lose it, you would. It'd be gone. It'd be lost. You you would have forfeited it a long time ago if you could, but you can't, so you won't. Praise God. Listen, what you notice in the text is that it's only the gospel that gives you the freedom to admit who you really are. And at the same time, gives you the assurance that you'll be loved anyway. The freedom to admit who you really are. Yeah, I'm jacked up. What of it? I like how the old school theologians, they used to, they used to say, when the Satan comes and gets after you like that, you say, yeah, I'm jacked up. So what? Jesus died. Well, what else is he going to say? Well, yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah, I know. Jesus died for sinners. Well, yeah, well, you're sick. You're corrupt. I know he came for us too. What's he going to do to you if you are freely admitting this? Jesus came for those who are sick. Not for those who are well. The only thing you need to bring to God is your are nothing. And that is often the most difficult thing to bring to God. You're nothing. You want to impress them. You want to bring, look at what I did. I helped a little old. There ain't enough little old ladies that help across the street to get right with God. There is not enough do good in to get you right. It's by grace alone. It's grace alone. I love this text. This text says that the Lord doesn't condemn his people. He condemns sin. You see that in the text? The Lord does not condemn his people. He condemns sin. Condemnation is to bring a death blow. And he doesn't bring that on his people. He brings that on sin. Jesus, through his death, completely rips out the the guts out of sin and death. I had a mentor who put it like this. He said, you know, when a bee stings you, it leaves its stinger, but that rips its guts out. So it can continue to fly around looking ominous, looking scary. But once it has stung one person, it can't it can't sting again. Jesus has been stung by death. So even though it flies around looking ominous for God's people, we need to know that the stinger has been yanked out and its death is imminent. That's good news. So that when you take your last breath in this world, you wake up in glory, as Pastor Duke said last week, and your first glimpse of Jesus beholding him absolutely relativizes all the sorrow, suffering, and hardship of this world. It'll be like a dream that you had 15 years ago. You say, I think I vaguely, maybe I remember it. That's how struck you will be with what you behold in Jesus. And then there will be no question about how God feels about you. When you see him cheesing ear to ear, looking on you in love, your faith will become sight. And you will be certain of the no condemnation. And then there will be no end to your praising of his holy name. Once you you know that there's no condemnation over your life, well then that, that brings you into life transformation briefly. Look at... Verses 3 through 4 For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that purpose result that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. When God looks at us, he sees the law fulfilled in us because we're in union with Christ. And this is the reality for those who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you see the intimate connection between the no condemnation verdict and the life transformation reality? No condemnation becomes the the groundwork for the life of transformation. You see, we're not driven by guilt or shame or fear into life change. We're driven by the reality that there's no condemnation. We're now free to admit to confess, to lament what is wrong with us, but to lament, confess with hope because he will change us. God does not love you because you change. He will change you because he loves you. There's a big difference. God doesn't love you because you change. He's not saying, well, if you get your act together a little bit better than I him, might. I might. Maybe. We'll see. It's possible. I don't know. I wonder about you still. No, God will change you because he loves you. And that's why he's given you the spirit as the down payment. The spirit, God by his spirit has put you on layaway. All right. He's going to take full possession in the new heaven and the new earth. He's given us his spirit to work change in us until then. But here's the thing. We got we have an evil opponent, an evil adversary who, who has a A very simple playbook of trying to keep us from this life change. You know what the evil one does? The evil one, the devil, Satan, our adversary. He has two primary lies that he tells and he just bounces them off one another. The first thing he tells you is that what God says about sin is not true. Come on, it's a modern world. Do what you want to do. Express yourself. You know, kind of enjoy. Just do whatever you want to do. Everyone else is doing it. I mean, really? It's kind of an outdated, outmoded way of life what Christians do, you know? We're in a modern world, you know? Then you do it. And then he tells you that what God says about forgiveness is not true. How could God love you now? How could God accept someone like you now? You are so, oh, you're a terrible, terrible person. You see what he does? He plays you. What God says about sin is not true. And then what God says about forgiveness is not true. That's his, that's his way of dealing with you. But I want to give you a little, a little work to do from here. You have to avoid emotional reasoning. Do you know what emotional reasoning is? Emotional reasoning is a cognitive distortion. It's, it's a scrambling of your mind. It's like, it's like a TV signal back in the day when they had rabbit ears and you're trying to get to sick. Maybe I'm the only one whose dad was like, right, left. All right, hold it right there. I'm like, damn, my arms are tired. (laughs) It's it's when you can't get a signal, there's a cognitive distortion. Emotional reasoning tells you this that you must build the facts around your feelings rather than transform your feelings based upon the facts. You think that because you feel it, it must be true, it must be right. And I'm going to tell you something when you sin, when you fail, and you feel unlovable, you're going to be tempted to believe that God does not love you. But that's emotional reasoning, and it's a cognitive distortion. It's a scrambling of your wires. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. What you need to do is you need to get your feelings in line with the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just because you feel unlovable does not mean that God does not love you. He does. He loves the unlovable. He forgives the unforgivable. He touches the untouchable. He welcomes the undesirable. He saves those who are otherwise unsavable by grace alone. That's our hope. And it's that hope that changes us. It's that hope that changes us. In Christ, you can be absolutely honest and absolutely beloved. You can be candid without condemnation. There is such a thing as false guilt. Feeling bad about wrongs we have not done. But there's also such a thing as false innocence. And for those of you in here who are still trying to wrestle with this idea of faith, I want you to consider this idea false innocence, where you feel good about rights you have not done. False guilt is when you feel bad about wrongs you've not committed. You're not responsible for it. You know, in this technological age, we get all this you're responsible for, you know saving the glaciers and the you know the all the dogs and you know the sarah mclaughlin song about the dogs you know like it's all you'd be feeling salty you're like man i, I need to save a terrier and you know like i you just feel responsible for things that you're not really on the hook for false guilt but then there's false innocence where you do you think you're free from things you are on the hook for like neighbor love like justice like caring for and involving the poor in your life, not just as a project, but as family, okay? Beware of false innocence. And then ask yourself the question, what do you do when you encounter guilt? We, as the Christian community, invite you To hear this no condemnation verdict pronounced over your life by faith alone in Christ alone. You simply come to Jesus and you say, I have nothing in my hands to bring. Nothing that would make me acceptable before you except what Jesus has done in my place. And I'm trusting in what he's done, not what I can do in order to be right with you. That's the simplicity of faith. And then allowing that message to change you. But a few practical points. A few practical points. What does no condemnation have to do with life anyway? few things. When you know this, this announcement over your life, it makes you tender and patient with other people. It makes you tender and patient toward other people. And even when you're fired upon, you don't return fire. You don't return fire. This, you know, actually it's true. I know it's hard to believe, but sometimes it's like people believe that social media is like this, this twilight zone where the, the realities of the Christian faith don't apply. Like you can just be any kind of way, act a fool, and it's, but it don't count on social media. It counts there too. <laughs> Newsflash, it's not the Twilight Zone. You know what else? You don't hang charges over other people. This counts in marriage. This counts in parenting. Don't hang charges and indictments over your kids to try and get them to change through guilting them or shaming them. If you have no condemnation over your life by your father, you delight to bring them into a self-understanding That when they are loved by Jesus in this way, mommy and daddy don't hold any condemnation over them either. That's hard. That's hard to do. Because sometimes you want to... You know what I'm saying? I know if y'all won't tell the truth, I know it's the truth. No condemnation. When you receive that verdict, you delight to demonstrate that kind of way of life with others. Don't let your life be found in conflict with the no condemnation verdict over you. Don't be quick to condemn. Be quick to extend forgiveness and understanding. Let this recover your perceptions of God. I know that a lot of you have labored under these perceptions of God for all your life, that God is peevish, frustrated, disappointed, irritable with you. He just, man, wishes you would just get your stuff together. He's so wore out of you that is not what God is like. And if you don't believe in that God, I'm glad because I don't believe in that God either. Come find the real God who delights to say no condemnation. He doesn't, he doesn't hang a, 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 an indictment over you. He sings over you. That's a different kind of God from what we've heard in the past. But also let it shift your motives finally let this no condemnation verdict shift your motives. You don't, if you're in Christ, you don't work for love. You work from love. And there's a big difference. If your kids feel like they have to work for love, if your friends feel like they have to work for your love, you need to know that it's not that way between you and God. You don't work for his love. You work from his love and that changes everything about your motives. That's what sanctifies your motives. You don't do it because someone else might be watching and they might tweet about it. You don't do it because someone else might give you a pat on the back. You work from utter altogether different motivations because you've been so deeply loved. So let this good news that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus shape the way you inhabit this world, the way you live and love and relate and serve and parent and do marriage, and wait. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving your son so that there would be no condemnation over our lives. I pray that these dear friends would know that proclamation over them. And I pray for our friends in here who are still wrestling with this. I pray that they would, they would see that they can be free, not just from feelings of guilt, but if It is true that there is a reality of guilt, a status of being guilty, that they can be free from that too through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to take seriously what it means to be loved by you and to walk with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.